Welcome to my podcast, The Sexual Shaman, Conversations on Sexuality and Spirituality. I am your host, Kenneth Ray Stubbs. This podcast videocast series is inspired by a book I envisioned, contributed to, edited, and published 30 years ago entitled Women of the Light, The New Sacred Prostitute. This current podcast videocast is a series of conversations with both women and men of the light, all about sexuality and spirituality. We go into the topics of Western Tantra, Western sexology, orgasm, gender, Tibetan Buddhism, contemporary shamanism, and traditional shamanism. Basically, we focus on energy and transformation in all aspects of our lives. Here we openly support all sexual orientations, all genders, all gender identifications, all races, and all ethnicities. The sponsor of this podcast is my energy training, an extensive 20-course program in developing our energetic infrastructure and our shamanic abilities to transform ourselves and others. More information is available at sexualshaman.com. Welcome to the podcast videocast, The Sexual Shaman, uh, Conversations on Sexuality and Spirituality. I'm Kenneth Ray Stubbs. Today, uh, I feel very fortunate in uh, having uh, as our guest, Ohad Pele from Israel, based in Israel. Uh, he was a Kabbalist uh, rabbi in Jerusalem left that uh, or in form of organized religion to focus much more on the path of uh, sacred sexuality. And he's author of several books uh, on the topic of spirituality and sexuality from a uh, Kabbalistic perspective. And in the last 10 years, he and his partner, Don Cherie, uh, have been leading as the lead faculty of ISTA International School of Temple Arts, he teaches seminars on, sac uh, on well, sexual shamanism uh, worldwide. And um, one of the things we're going to focus on today is the information, the historical information he put into a um, historical novel, which is a trilogy, and he's just come out recently uh, with his second uh, uh, volume entitled Kadesha, spelled K-E-D-E-S-H. A, and it's in English. You can get it online. You want to explore more. Uh, you want to look him up on kabalove.org, K-A-B-A-L-O-V-E.org. Ohad, we've had some interesting, wonderful conversations in the last couple of weeks in preparation for today. Welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Us. Thank you, Ray. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Uh, right now he's in Estonia. After, I am, yeah. Uh, just, after just, having <laughs> taught some of the uh, his international teaching uh, on sexuality, what is missing from my history books as I grew up was any sort of sense of uh, what was going on around sexuality and spirituality as we go back ten thousand plus years or around that time uh, 
and you're familiar with what was happening uh, in some areas of the Middle East. Maybe tell us a little bit about your trilogy, but I'd love for you to go into the historical basis that you yeah. integrated into these stories. Yeah, yeah, sure. So, you know, when we spoke, we spoke about the the, the split between sexuality and and spirituality and and I told you that, uh, well, this split was not always there. You know, we were trying talking about uh, tantra and other traditions that are that are trying to gap the the split. And and yeah. and I told you that yes, it's very important, but it's also very important to know that the split was not always there. In fact, it's um, human made. Uh, split connected to the current culture, which the current culture is of several thousand uh, years old. And, and it was gradually taking place around the planet. Uh, but it's important to know that before that and through that, through that gradual um, taking over of the planet, there were always places and ancient traditions that were you know really really ancient like of thousands and some I, I want to believe even tens of thousands of years of course not the same thing but the I the the idea of celebrating life and death as a circle the cycle of life and death healing death birth re and rebirth um with the power of life force that's connected to subtle energies uh, which we connect to the, the divine forces, to the uh, gods, goddesses, deities, and, and even and beyond that to you know subtler and subtler aspects until you come to the source. Um, for most of human history, it was not divided between spirit and sex. Actually, sex was except of being a way to make children and to uh, relax the body and uh, connect in, in a family way, connect to your beloved, uh, except of that, sex was for thousands of years a way of worship, a way, one of the ways of worship. And if you went to the temples of Astarte, uh, that's that's the name in English, and you know it's uh, um, the way we say it in in Hebrew. Her name is Ashteret. Um, the way the Bible called her is Ashtoret, but that's kind of a derogative. Um, the way the the Persian people called her was Istehar. The word star actually come from her Istar. And she was connected to the to the Venus star, and the star of eight um, corners. And the word star in English came came from that, from Istar, the goddess of the star. Anyhow, she was the goddess of passion, uh, passion, creativity, sexuality, um, as a way of celebrating life and connecting to the divine. And this, what we, we don't know, and this is what 
you know, basically created my first book of, of the trilogy, Kedesha trilogy, is that this was celebrated in Jerusalem. Uh, King Solomon, according, and I'm not, you know, inventing anything. It's not even, you know, something esoteric knowledge that, you know, was found somewhere or someone channeled it. It's like, just go to the Bible. Just go to the Bible. And the key is to read the Bible, the Old Testament, to read it in a critical eye, which means to read the report and know that it, the person, there is a person with an agenda who's reporting. So the, in the book of Kings, it speaks about King Solomon, praising King Solomon to be the wisest, the wisest man on earth, being uh, very literate in, very knowledgeable in the wisdom of Mesopotamia, um, like uh, Assyria and Persia and India, and Egypt, so the old, oh, he was kind of holding the, the, the ancient knowledge. He was, Israel is just in the, in the center. So, you know, all the caravans that were going between Mesopotamia and Egypt passed through Israel. And that's a great place to sit if you're a wisdom seeker. And all the, all the their wishes, all the wise people, they're just going through you. If, you. if they know that the king is paying for knowledge, they would come. So he's known as the as the widest the wisest person, but he's known also for being a very sexual person, um, without apology. So he's according to the Book of Kings, he had a harem of a thousand women, which is like, and but the thing is not that the thing is that he was a mystic, he was into sexuality. He built the temple for God, the God of the Hebrews, Yahweh. But in the book of Kings, it says that he also built a temple for Astarte in Jerusalem. But the, the book of Kings, the author of the book sees it as his sin. And of course says like, you know, it's because of his women, his, his women, they took him off, off the right path of God. But if you, you know, filter that, you know, the personal opinions of the writer, and what you have is like a king who is a mystic, who is into mysticism and sexuality, who builds a temple for the goddess of sexuality in Jerusalem. And now if you follow the book, so King Solomon built it, and then you have the description in the book of Kings 2, chapter 22-23, is the whole saga of, that I described in the book Desha in the first volume, where this, this uh, temple of Astarte was destroyed by the monotheistic revolution of uh, King Josiah, 300 years later. 300 years of, of a temple that is in the middle of Jerusalem is functioning as, as, um, as a main temple. So you come to Jerusalem and there is one of the, one of the first of all, it's a pluralistic city there are different temples in Jerusalem. King Solomon himself built also other temples. Um, so it's a pluralistic city supported by the kings. You can have different worships, but one of them is to the goddess of sexuality and, and fertility. Um, the priestesses of the goddess were called Kedesha, 
the name of my trilogy, Kadesha, is actually the, the name of the priestesses, meaning sacred woman. In Hebrew, Kadosh means sacred, and Kadesha is a woman who is sacred. So the Kedeshas were the priestesses in the temple of Ashteret, of Astarte, Istar. And part of their rituals were sexual rituals. Not all the Kedeshas work with sexual rituals. It's like if we look at the vast knowledge that you know temples needed to have, they needed to have dancers and musicians and people who are specified in, in herbs and healing and all kinds of things. But we, we know that the Kadeshas specifically were persecuted later because they were sexual priestesses. So there are documentations of um, rich, sexual rituals that were done by the king and the priestesses in order to create a fertile year. So for instance, there's, uh, um, this is from the Canaanites that were in, in Israel, in the land of Israel before, before even King Solomon. Um, so there's a description that was found on a clay um, that the king in order to um, bless the coming year with fertility, there was a ceremony done in the beginning of the year, which is where the Jewish uh, still, the Jewish new year is in the fall, in the fall before the rain starts in Israel. So they wanted the year to be rainy and they would do a ceremony. In this ceremony, the king needed to make love with two Kadeshas. Each of them was embodying a specific deity. And he needed to make love with them so well that they will both be totally satisfied. And if they are both totally satisfied, that would you know, create the, the year fertility. The interesting anecdote, you know the Jews don't eat meat and milk, right? They don't mix meat and milk. I don't know if you know, but it's like what's considered kosher. It's like don't mix meat and milk. Um, in this ritual, according to these uh, ancient writings, and, and we're talking, you know, th some thousands uh, of years ago, it says that in order to help the king be so uh, fertile and viral, viral, not viral, what's the word in English? Vital. Vital, yeah. Um, he had to eat all kinds of special foods like aphrodisiacs. And one of them was actually a kid in his mother, in, in milk. Like they were cooking a goat kid in, in milk. And then according to this, when you read the Torah that says, don't cook a goat kid with his mother's milk, then you understand like, okay, that's what they were talking about. You know, when you're doing this, this ritual, don't cook the, it, the, it with its mother's milk. So the, the, rich, this, the, the rituals of sacred sexuality were so embedded in the culture. 
Um, and so that was between the priestesses and the king, but we also know about uh, Kedeshas that are just accepting individuals. You know, you just come to the temple, you bring a goat as, a, as an offering or something, you bring something as an offering, and you meet a Kadesha, which is a sacred priestess. And she might make love with you. She might, you know, as we know from today, you know, if someone is a sexual shaman, she's not a prostitute. You're not, you're not buying sex service. You're buying healing. Um, or you're buying, you're, you're, you know, you're giving the goat, you're offering something, and you're getting a session of healing. And the session of healing could be also by running eros in your body and riding sexuality and but might be through other things so these were the ancient times and in those traditions there were the split between sexuality and spirituality was not there uh, it's so hard for us to understand because today i think when people you know and i, I was a rabbi as you said in your introduction was a Kabbalist rabbi, and uh, for us Jews, and of course for Christians and Muslims, if you, if you, if you come to God, you shouldn't be coming, you know, horny with, you know, with passion, sexual passion. Actually, you know, if you're Christian, you might think that sexual passion is from Satan. If uh, if you're Jewish, you just think it's not so respectful for God. You know, you need. But for the ancient people, that was God itself. And the Greek people called Eros, Eros is a deity. So when I am erotic, I'm actually embodying the divine, a divine power, uh, a deity. It's hard for us to think about it. And I, I always tell people, even, even you know, tantric people or whatever it is, when you think about a, a holy man or a holy woman or a sacred person, do you think about them as someone who has a lot of sex or very little sex, if at all? And they would always see it as someone who, you know, either is celibate or having very minimal sex because it, they don't think about someone who's holy. If they're holy, you know, how could they be very sexual and having lots of sex? But that was the ancient mythology and the ancient traditions. Like, yeah, you can be a holy woman, Kadesha or Kadesh, which was the man. And that's, that's what you do. You work as a sexual being and you offer. But the thing is that it's. So now we go, you know, we can go deeper. It's. It's not just giving sex to people in the way that people think about sex today. I think because of the split in sexuality and spirituality, what when people see sex, they see just like sexual intercourse and, and rubbing organs uh, with each other. And they don't see what the ancient people knew that it's, it's so much more. It was intuitive for them that rising energy in the body, rising sexual energy in the body can lead you to altered states of, you know, extraordinary awareness and, and, and states of, of consciousness. And from that you connect to the 
archetypal world and from the archetypal world you can connect to deep spirit and and then magic can happen and healing can happen yeah so I, you know i can we can talk about it more and more i just like want to give you a place to yeah all right <laughs> i understand the um i first came into some sort of a uh, an awareness of this perspective when I was uh, I, uh, envisioned, uh, edited, uh, contributed to, and published a book called Women of the Light about 30 years ago. Yeah, and, I know the uh, sub, Subtitled the, the New Sacred Prostitute. Uh, I, I use the term the New Sacred Prostitute because I had asked a number of the, I chose to, to just focus on women who were doing sexual activities uh, for others, uh, but they were very aware of energy and their spiritual focus, even though it may not be religious per se. And I asked them, many of them, well, how did you come to do this? Because uh, we're talking about, uh, well, in hippie days, before the hippie days, sexuality was really, 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 really quiet. Uh, uh, and uh, every day they opened up uh, and, and came the field of uh, Western sexology around 1966 with Mattress and Johnson's The Human Sexual Response that really opened up the doors in many ways. And then in the early 70s, uh, Tantra from, particularly from India, uh, began to be introduced into the West. and. Uh, so by the time uh, I was entered in the field of uh, human sexuality at the Institute for the Advancement of Human Sexuality, we already had some, some groundwork, but we were pulling from the past and, and creating a lot of new things, uh, new approaches that just were not available to us uh, easily in the culture before us, other than sort of symbols from the past. Uh, and I ask you, these particular women, because I chose to focus on women initially, uh, to convey the idea more clearly for people's minds that what what was it that uh, inspired you to step into this role uh, of doing sexual, we'll say sexual service type of things, uh, but in a very broad sense. Uh, and several of them pointed to the book, Women, uh, the, the the sacred prostitute, but Nancy Qualls Corbett, a PhD uh, uh, Jungian analyst, and she had given this scenario, hypothetical, uh, symbolic scenario of warrior coming back from war. First, he goes into the temple uh, uh, and um, have uh, uh, to be bathed, fed, spoken to. Uh, uh, and made love with as to wash away the horrors of war. That was the symbolism. Wash away PTSD of, of, of veterans, of war veterans. And how, how amazing would it be if our society knew how to deal with that? And uh, so, uh, so I started reading, well, at the time it was the goddess literature. Uh, and uh, this is around 1980, 1990. Uh, and uh, uh, the emphasis was that uh, in earlier times, the goddess 
uh, was the, the main deity. Uh, and later times, the god went from female focus, yeah. uh, female deity to male focus. But as I kept reading some of the sources, I began to see, no, there was a, that, that blend of male deity, female deity. It wasn't one or the other. There was yep. that blend. So that again, I have a sense that, yeah, there was something much more inherently uh, integrated before the duality was emphasized more and more and more. And this is an example uh, that you're talking about. And I think that's important for us to understand that uh, we here in the 20th, 21st century are just waking up to what has been much more uh, known uh, in some of the ancient cultures. We're talking, like I said, maybe five, 10 uh, plus thousand years ago. No, no, we're, I mean, yes, but also the, the temple that I'm speaking, speaking about, the Temple of Astarte was, was destroyed in the seventh century BCE. So that's like 2,600 years only. Um, oh, okay. Oh, I, all right. So it's more more recent then. Yeah, much much more recent. the The culture of the of, of sacred sexuality was, you know, prevalent for for thousands of years before that. But the revolution, I think, most people in the West don't know that monotheism started with the bloody revolution in the seventh century BCE in Jerusalem, there was a conspiracy happening. Um, the, the wise man, his name was Shafan. He was the, the scribe, Shafan the scribe, that's how they call him. Um, probably bribed some people, someone killed, murdered the king king amun was murdered when his son was only seven years old the scribe took the son made him king when he was seven years old uh, crowned him as king and educated him very noble of him huh? Um, and of course, when he educated him, the king, he educated him according to his beliefs, not according to his father's beliefs. His father and his grandfather were actually uh, people who, who brought the union of the feminine and masculine together. Like the grandfather of this young boy king is King Menashe, uh, the king that ruled over Jerusalem for the longest time. And he is known uh, as a sinner in the Bible because he brought the goddess image of Asherah into the temple of Yahweh. Um, maybe he thought that they need to sleep together, you know, not to be in, you know, <laughs> a temple for her, a temple for him, but actually, hey, you need to be together in the same temple. Uh, so the Jews hate him. So he died, his son became king, his son was murdered, leaving the boy. The boy was educated by the scribe that was actually, per se, you know, the, the one who ruled the kingdom. And then when the boy was in his 20s, 
it this it's been described in the in the book of kings how they go and they renovate they do some renovation in the temple of yahweh and all of a sudden they find a book and the high priest comes like hey we found a book that we didn't know about it uh, an ancient book looks looks like a book of moses uh, shafan reads it and and confirms yes this is an ancient book of moses and he gives it to the king and the king reads it and says like wow we didn't know because in this book it says you shouldn't in this book it says you shouldn't have any other temple for any other deities only to me you should destroy all the other temples break the altars kill those who worship other the other gods and goddesses and then the 20 something years old king reads it out loud tears his clothes and so like we didn't know we need and and the scribe is you know encouraging him to make a revolution and he takes the army uh and he he's supported by the by the people who were by the mob kind of thing and uh, and uh, they destroy the temple of astarte that king solomon built 300 years before they burn it to the ashes not only it but different all all over the kingdom altars that were for the goddess were burnt it says that some of them were made into toilets to like really to make it to make fun of it and to uh, put it down so they made it into shit houses they sometimes burnt the corpse of the priests and priestesses murdered they burnt their bodies on the broken altars so they basically were like we want to destroy this culture and and traumatize the people and that's what happened so the worship of sexuality or the worship of the goddess that included sexuality as a sacred offering was just cut off and since then uh, that was the begin the very beginning of what later became judaism that we have one god and of course he's a you know male characteristics jews would not say that god is a male but they would say god had no has no gender but definitely all the characteristics of the god in the bible are of a male god and there's no female while actually if you go in archaeology <clears throat> in the land of israel and there were several places that found uh, evidence um, of our ancestors um, writing to each other and blessing each other to Yahweh which means to the to God the masculine God and his goddess and his uh, consort um, so our ancestors actually worshipped a god and a goddess union, a sacred union. That was the divine for them. If, this is just like from simple archaeological findings in the land of Judea. Uh, but this is hidden. And then the monotheistic re religions created it as if, you know, from, from ever, from days of Abraham, we were just like monotheistic. Monotheism was there forever. And there were some sinners that, you know, did the opposite, but we actually, and that's totally not true. So, yeah, I took the liberty to 
to tell the story uh, in my book in Kadesha to research a lot uh, in archaeology and literature and history and mythology and understand the different theologies of the different groups, the religious groups that, you know, each of them believed in God in a different way. And what does it mean actually to to have a temple that like a real temple um, that is dedicated to to sexuality, to love, to to the goddess, which means also to the cycle of of women bleeding with the moon, with the, you know what kind of ceremonies were there? How did they respect? the moon and the goddess and, and the women and, and, and the sex between the people. So I needed to really go into that and write the story because what, you know, for me, these kings murdered um, my friends. You know, they murdered the people that I would have been part of. And our story was not told. Our story was told by the, by the winners. History is told by the winners. And, and until this day, people just, just don't know what happened. So I felt uh, a sacred oath almost to tell the story. And yeah, so I, I'm really happy, you know, many people read it and it's a, they say it's a page turner, you know, like it's, it's uh, because it has everything, you know, it has blood, it has revolution, it has sex, it has uh, all the good, all the good stuff. It has the villains and it has the, and it has the, 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 the sexy priestesses and everything. Uh, but you learn the history of sexuality and spirituality and the split between them and how it happened and when it happened based on historical resources. Great. So uh, if you're interested in going more deeply into this story, uh, uh, Kadesha, K-E-D-E-S-H-A, uh, is available in uh, book form uh, by Ohad Pele. So um, yeah, I'd like to talk, or maybe this, uh, I guess it's the next section, but I want to talk about, you know, what is the healing that, that Kadeshas can offer and what is sexual healing and how is it, you know, uh, healing what we call today trauma. They didn't have this, this uh, term, of course. Mm. Yeah, let, let's talk about that. Yeah, I have to say that the research, you know, my research started with books, but uh, at a certain point I felt like, okay, you know, uh, knowledge is not in the books. Knowledge is in the experience. And I need to go get the experience and really search for what it is so I know it in my body and not only in my mind. Appreciating the mind a lot, but it's not, it can't do the whole thing. What, what's happening today? How do we, how do we approach this? Uh, you want to give a context for this and you know, give us a sense of uh, your perspective on uh, what we can do and where perhaps we could go uh, for those of yeah. us who into transformation? Yeah, well, that's the main question, of course. So what do we do with it today? And um, of course, we need to heal the split because we can't, it's, it's like we can't play the flute if it's broken if or if there's a, 
if the human body is a flute and you know and every chakra is uh, is one of those holes of the flute and you have a a blockage in the flute um, that doesn't doesn't allow energy to flow from all the through all the flute then of course it can't it can't play so integrating and creating recreating the connection between the spirit and sex is uh, absolutely uh, important and and meaningful for you know and, and you said at the beginning it's it's a it's a political thing i totally see it as a political thing i see it as something that will you know when people are more integrated in their spirituality and sexuality they are less um they would less go into war they would less yeah. be uh, just soldiers obeying citizens of some leaders that are you know taking them according to some agenda they would be more integrated more sovereign being they would be more ready to be to have independent thinking and feeling and sourcing from the source and not from a leader and that's of course something that leaders don't like because they like the people to go after them so i see our work actually is whatever you want to call us you know sexual shamans or whatever it is i don't really care about the title but i see our work in empowering people and bringing them helping them claim back their sovereignty the power it's really not about having good sex I think a lot of Tantra in the West became like, okay, let's let me teach you how to have more pleasure, how to have good sex with your wife or husband, which, you know, it's good, but I don't see our work in this. I see my work as using what we know about sexuality which is an immense power. This is a life force. This is what creates babies. This is what creates, rejuvenate the body. And everybody knows how they feel after a good lovemaking and orgasm. And it's just like the, the life force that is coming and the joy, it makes people alive. And you see people that uh, they don't have it. They don't have orgasmic life. They're, they're, they're dim and, and bitter. So I see my work as actually giving people back their power and their freedom and their sovereignty and their ability to source from the source, to resource themselves, not from each other, not to be predators of energy from each other. It doesn't, you know, people talk about a lot about sexual predators, but it's not that they're energy predators in, uh, that are just like sucking from each other and trying to get power from each other. And a lot of it is actually um, by all kind of all kind of means that are um, draining uh, each other. And, and this is really, really important in, in community that we know how to resource ourselves from the source. And I think that the the real work of a Kadesha or Kadesh or, you know, a sexual shaman 
is really not just to have good sex with people or to teach them how to have good sex. I mean, this is, it's a byproduct. The real, the real work is to open the channels so they allow, they can go deep into themselves and be weaned off the, what Kabbalah calls the illusionary vision of reality and starting to see reality from a deeper perspective. Um, and see, it's not, it's, it's really feeling it, feeling it from within. It, it's hard to speak about it because it's, it's like speaking about the taste of something that people, if you didn't taste it, it's hard to describe, but there is a um, sexuality. I, I look at sexuality as a, as a doorway as a portal uh, and it's a beautiful portal and many people just come to the come to this portal to this gate take pictures and it's like oh that's a beautiful place <laughs> <laughs> but they, they never fucking pass through sexuality is a thing to move through and when you move through it's you're moving into the into the palace of the divine i would say you know I, you can maybe use different different names for that but i'm i'm coming from this kind of mythology um i know that when i when i go deep into sex through the con deepening the consciousness in the sexual encounter whether it's with oneself or with two with another person with two people with groups it really doesn't matter what matters is not what you do is but how you do it and where are you where is your awareness and you can go to it just like people go to medicine ceremonies for me sex is medicine and the same as like you know you don't drink medicine you don't drink ayahuasca because it's tasty it's not uh, so you know you Sex is tasty, but you you drink from the cup of sex because you want to have a journey. You want to go into altered states, to extraordinary uh, ways of being in which you might realize who you are in a deeper way. The whole picture of who I am will change, will shift. And that also creates healing. And again, today there's a lot of uh, therapeutic language that came on stage and it's good because therapy is beautiful. What I don't like is that when one language is kind of taking over and I feel like today the therapeutic language took over. Finally, they, you know, for, for a hundred years since Freud, they were, psychology was kind of fighting for its legitimacy. And now it's so legit that it's really like taking over and like everything needs to be therapeutic and, and held in a safe space of therapy and, you know, all the, all the, all the guidelines of therapy are projected on anything. But I know that sexual shamans in the past and in the future and in the present uh, work with deeper aspect than normal therapy, I would say. Because it's using Eros in order to connect a person to the source of life. 
to this part of us that is never broken. So you take a broken person, let's say what you, what you, what you quoted from uh, the sacred prostitute, this uh, image of, of the soldiers that are coming back from war and they've seen all the atrocities and their friends being you know, killed and slaughtered and all the atrocities of war. And I come from Israel, so we know a little bit about that. Um, and then instead of just sending them back home to their children and their wives, no, the, the sacred Kadesha, the priestesses are taking them. And, and they do with them not therapy, but they will connect them back to the source of life <clears throat> through sexual experience, erotic experience. In this, they might cry, they might release trauma from their muscles and from their body and from their emotions. They will guide them through all kinds of things, but the main thing is to resource them from this vibration that lies underneath everything that can be broken. Um, I can't go into the terminology of Kabbalah, but in Kabbalah we have this thing that even when someone's psyche is broken, there is a, a, lever in, a level inside that was not cracked. And if we reach this level, from that, if we shine this, if we vibrate that, even though it's, it's hidden, it's subtle, but it's nevertheless so powerful that it can create a, a way that a person can carry their wounds with dignity. So even if it's PTSD from war, it's not that you forget everything, but you can merge back into society and carry your memories and carry everything with dignity. It's not breaking you. So it's a little bit different than you know classical therapy, but the different therapeutic um, benefits to that, and um, and not only therapeutic because as as we spoke before, you know the sacred. Kadeshas were also working on fertility of the land and you know things that we would call sex magic and stuff like that. So the question today is, you know, how do we do that? How do we bring it back? Uh, first, I want to say I don't have the answers. I, as a rabbi, I'm I'm sometimes good with good questions. One of the things that I learned in traditional learning is like sometimes having good questions is better than having shallow answers. So, but I think the good questions are how do we, can we mend the split, the, 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 the tearing of the tissue in our, in our psyche between the higher and the lower, between spirit and sex? Can we actually have sex that is vibrating like a prayer? Mystics knew about it all the time. The, in all kinds of cultures, including in, in my culture in Kabbalah, there are writings about sexuality that is prayer. 
and prayer that is sexual. But can we actually bring people to that place? Can we have priests, priests and priestesses that are trained enough to know when to move aside? This is how I see it. It's like, you know, if the priestess is coming and working with someone, and this someone obviously is, you know, falling in love with her, wanting her, but that would be a missing of the point. She, she wants him to, it's like she's throwing her, her bait, so to say, to his life force. And his life force is taking the bait and she pulls him up, but then she moves away. And all the oxytocin in his body is like waiting, looking for her, but she's not physically there and, and energetically, she's not standing there. She allows this oxytocin to be um, directed towards the source. That's what we want. We want, we want people to be able to connect to the source of life, to God, goddess, whatever you want to call it, but to be able to connect erotically to life itself. If we don't connect erotically to life itself, we constantly seek for it by sexual partners. But if we connect erotically to life itself, we know how to, you know, I don't know, sit by the beach and breathe the waves in an erotic way and, and move energy through our bodies and connect to, to the life force in nature or sit in the desert or look at the stars or sit by a tree and recharge also erotically. So how to educate priests and priestesses, I think this is one of the, for me, this is one of the big questions. Because for sure, in the ancient temples, to become a priest or a priestess, you needed a lot of education. People yes. lived in the, they lived in the temple, sometimes years learning how to dance, how to, how to pray, how to arrange the altar, how to touch someone, how to sing, how to arouse them, how to work with your own sexual energy. That you know, there's so much. And I really wonder how can we can we create a school? You know, Ista is called the School of Temple Arts, but and I love what Ista is doing, uh, what we are doing in Ista, and I know that it's not enough, actually. It's just the beginning. But we, if, if we want to create temples, new temples, we need to find a way to educate people that will go deep enough. And deep is what I find frustrating sometimes with Western Tantra is that it's not deep enough. Yes. That it's just like um, on the shallow level of of, of um, uh, how do you call it? Um, just having better life, having the good life, uh, selling the, the American dream, so to say, and <laughs> which is definitely not what it's about. Yeah. So we sort of, uh, 
since uh, we do not have the answer, but we're exploring it. Uh, I, I think we have some directions. Mm. Uh, to what you're doing and what I'm doing and many others are doing are heading in that. But I agree, we have to go deeper. Uh, and uh, one of the ways I would conceptualize it is a lot of Western Tantra, the, the language was around more ecstasy. Uh, and I said, you know, that that's good. But what I'm really searching for, seeking, is more transformation. And when I shift, shift to the consciousness of transformation, ecstasy can happen along the way, but it's not the objective. If it mm -hmm. happens, awesome. It's about opening up to, so that there's more vibrancy within our energetic functioning. With, and knowing that we don't have the answers, uh, but headed in the direction of the answers. <laughs> you can yeah, see. we need more people to ask the good questions and to go by error and uh, try and error and, and compare. It took thousands of years to make us forget it. Let us give ourselves, you know, <laughs> some, some decades to remember. Great, great. Well, Ohad, thank you so much for uh, giving us some history, uh, raising the question, uh, pointing in a direction. Uh, very much appreciate uh, your explora exploration of uh, the questions here. It's important to, to have those questions. So we don't have the answers fully, and we, and we can go deeper. So that's where I'm playing with as well. Yeah, I know that. I know that, and that's why I so appreciate your work, Ray. Thank you. You can uh, learn more, study more with Ohad at Kaba Love, K A B A L O V E dot org. Yeah, there is a course in Kabbalah there, you know, that people can actually, they want to know what I'm talking about in Kabbalah. There's, there's an online oh, great. course. Great, great, great. And his trilogy or two volumes, which are completed, Kedesha, K E D E S H A. Um, and uh, thank you so much for joining in. Thank you. Thank you, Ray. Uh, I'm Kenneth Ray Stubbs. Uh, if you want to know more about other podcasts, um, sexualshaman.com. If you want to contribute to this free podcast, videocast, uh, push a, a little button and be a patron. It would be greatly appreciated. And again, the sponsor for this is my particular training called the energy training, which is described also in sexualshaman.com. And we continue the journey to, uh, to, to deepen what we can be, I think, is inherent in our nature uh, as a conscious, uh, energetic being. So we will continue on exploring this in our personal lives and uh, so, uh, encourage people uh, who are listening to to go there as for yourself, whatever that might be for you at this point in time, step out of the mold. Mm. So folks have a good day and uh, uh, Ohad, thank you again for joining in. You're welcome and thank you. Mm.